Playhouse presents Tom Phillips Ferryman by Ross Frewen. Welcome to Gloucestershire, to the River Severn. I am Sabrina. Good evening. It is early afternoon in the dwindling summer of 1927. Cattle move slowly about the floodplain meadows, glistening brown, their heads down and tails working lazily against ever-present flies. A soft estuary breeze carries with it the murmur of contented nature. Listen, the call of a distant dove. And in hedge, reed and grass, the dippers and skylarks compete to outsing each other. A church clock strikes two. It is St Peter's in Newnham, set on the highest point on either side of the riverbank for many miles around. See how from the churchyard the land falls precipitously to the river. The church is severe and solid and broods over the parish spread beneath. It is a commanding presence set dark against forest-draped hills which crowd the hinterland. Ah... But the sky and the river on a day such as this. Look up and the powder blue expanse is hazy warm and unbroken, cloudless from one horizon to the next. The light and clarity of this extraordinary day has washed everything with its pastel brush and even rough buildings assume the air of well-tended villas shimmering as they rise to the glory of the day. The fields and farms too their usual loamy earthiness quite transformed by this glowing exuberance. Today, at this hour, the river is beautiful. It stretches from bank to bank like tin plate. There is no indication of its usual truculence, no evidence of the elemental forces that even now are at work beneath that glassy finish. Today, this afternoon, all is peace. A heavily set man stands on the Arlingham bank of the river and as it is high tide, almost a mile of water lies between him and the small quay at Newnham. He waves his arms slowly in an arc above his head and shouts across the still expanse, Tom! Tom! Fair! I see you've seen me, you bloody-minded old bugger. Stop mending them shoes and get in that boat. He lights a cigarette and watches as a man on the opposite bank raises himself from the wooden stump on which he had been sitting. That man is old Tom Phillips, the ferryman, who removes his hat, wipes his brow, then hat in hand returns the distant wave. Putting his tools in a box by his feet, with unhurried steps, Tom walks towards the end of the cobbled causeway. An upended railway sleeper, sunk deep into the earth, serves as a mooring post. Leaning on this, hand over hand, the man starts to pull on a rope, and so beckoned, a sturdy rowing boat, perhaps 15 feet in length, approaches. It has been sitting several yards out in the river, carried upstream, for this is a tidal river. Upstream from where Tom beached both boat and fare, in river mud, not half an hour ago. God forbid that Tom should ever hurry himself. 
and steps easily in. He pushes off with his right oar, then secures them both in the rollocks, spits into the river. I like that. Like a dog, marking his territory. Spits, glances once over his shoulder and begins to pull. His strokes are strong and mechanical, his progress remarkably swift. Tom is near 70 years old. He is not a big man, but he is broad and strong. He fashions those improbable waders himself, hobnailed, not another pair like them anywhere. 15 or 20 minutes pass before Tom draws up at the projecting wooden platform, just as the waiting man flicks what is now his second cigarette into the water. Tom stands with one foot on the gunwale and, breathing heavily, steps up and out of his boat. I hadn't seen you, Reverend Bevis, says Tom. The vicar, of course, knows that this is not true, but he thinks that Tom, taken in the round, is a good man and says nothing. Shall I help you down? They sit in comfortable silence until a little over halfway across, when the man of God states simply, You'll be able to bring me back around eight. To which Tom nods in affirmation, repeating the single word, Eight. Tom knows that he will need his steps, strength and waders for that trip, for then the estuary will have near swallowed the river's tidal abundance and its former saltiness will run fresh in a much reduced channel. And God's work has given the vicar not only a healthy appetite, but clearly plentiful opportunities to appease it. That will mean hard work for Tom tonight, for the return journey. Like all passengers at low tide, our ecclesiastical cargo will mount Tom's little wooden steps, lean across the ferryman's shoulder, and submit himself to being carried, woolsack-like, boatward through effluvial mud. Across the water, this time mounting from the gunwale, the good man will complete his journey with similar undignified dependence. It is the end of an era. Tom is to retire in a few months and will cede responsibility for his boats to Bill Hayward, who, in deference to an indiscretion of Tom's in the 1880s, folks still call his stepson. Unfairly, in my view, passing what little shame would have attached to Tom squarely to the woman who back then had yet to become his wife. Ginny, Tom's wife. Ooh, she's a hard one. <laughs> you think he's tough? But all that is months in the future. For now, let us enjoy this sunny afternoon and the tranquil river on which the boat diminishes steadily as it gains the far bank. afternoon of 3rd November 1927. Beneath oilskins, Tom is dressed in his Sunday best, and equivalently attired, swamped beneath Tom's ancient sea cape, is his wife, Ginny. Tom mounts the short steps, 
leans across Bill Hayward's capable shoulders and is carried to the boat. The splash of waders heralds Bill's return and Ginny, a not insubstantial load in her own right, is likewise carted from the shore. Oh, the rain lashes down and the wind blows hard against the direction of their travel. The water is licked white by the wind and the rain stings icy cold on Bill's uncovered face. <laughs> Tired, Billy. Oh, so soon, Billy. <laughs> I can see I'll have to work hard to have any fun with you, Billy boy. The boat is secured and Ginny, then Tom, are carried across the mud and up the slippery bank path to the new inn. Tom presses a coin into Bill's hand. It is the proper fare for such a crossing, and Bill smiles as he takes it. Hark at our Ginny muttering. That's the first fare my Bill has taken as owner of the ferry, and that exact same coin passed from his hand to Tom's not two hours since, on the forest side of the river. And that pay was my Tom's last fare as a ferryman. This is just so much nonsense. An old fool and a young fool smiling like simpletons in Severn's mud and pissing rain. One I married and one I bred. If I shot them both, it would be a kindness. If you can stop passing that coin back and forth long enough, get me up to that inn and treat me to a mug of hot cider. Oh, bye, Tom. Don't mind me. Have a nice evening with your angel. Tom, as we have seen, is a man who has little use for conversation. Today, however, he will make four speeches, though only one has been planned. And even that he would have avoided had the opportunity presented itself. We will see him speak a rehearsed speech to the great and the good gathered at the village school to mark his retirement. A little later, he'll speak with uncommon, for him, eloquence at the three sailors. To his wife, what do you make of Ginny? I think she's odder than him. Anyway, as the night draws in, he will also say a few words to his good lady wife. His fourth and final speech will be to me. A continuation of a conversation started 60 years ago. I cannot wait to see you again. I will not wait forever, my friend. Even today, he might think he is addressing himself, but it is me, his sweet, attentive Sabrina who listens when he speaks. This should be good. The very Reverend Bevis in his natural environment, talking at people, sermonising. <laughs> Though today, he stands in a classroom, not a church, his cherubic chubby face peering levelly around, not smugly down, as is its wont, moonlike from his Sunday pulpit. 
I think I speak for all of us when I say that we will sorely miss having Tom Phillips as our ferryman. For nigh on forty years, we have all of us relied on Tom over there to get ourselves and our possessions across the water safely. Tom is a good man and has proved himself time and time again to be hard-working and honest. I think it is fair to say that it was he who knit our two river-separated villages together to the benefit of both parishes. It has not been unusual for Tom in a single day to ferry 400 cattle across the river from Arlingham to market making innumerable journeys in the big two-man boat. Some of us can also remember the days before the wireless was common, when Tom was oracle as much as a ferryman. It was Tom who brought news of the relief of Mafekin and the end of the Boer War, the bear trials in Little Dean. But most of all, I can't think that there is a person in this village who hasn't been in the ferry boat and thanked the good Lord that it was Tom at the oars when the weather turned, as it does so often. Above all, Tom has proved a safe pair of hands. In 38 years, not one person has perished in this care, notwithstanding the terrors that our river holds in abundance. Not that one ever fell from his back into the severn mud, of course. That happened. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> Tom, please come and stand by me. We each of us wanted to mark this occasion, and between us we have collected the coins within this purse to show our gratitude. Tom, it gives me great pleasure to present you with the small token of our thanks. It is filled as much with our esteem, gratitude and good wishes as with coins of the realm. Give me your hand, Tom. Turn to the congregation. Oh, sorry. The class. <laughs> Say a few words. Why don't you, Tom? Well, I'm obliged to hear those kind words, and for this purse. I'm pleased to have been of service to my friends for so many years. I'm glad, too, to leave you in the equally safe hands of my boy Bill, who was ferried by my side these last fifteen years. As I shall not have to be up early for my work tomorrow, you may find me in the sailor this evening. And I would be proud to buy as many of you as I can a drink. For you are here meaning to thank me, but it is I who should like to thank you. <clears throat> I, I think that's it. So if you don't mind... Oh, those are good words, Thomas. But I have a feeling that there is more to come. I have sat opposite you more'n twenty times a year for every one of the years you've been pulling oars with those great big arms of yourn, and I know it's more than fairs, Tom. You have seen us at our best and worst, ferried us to church to wed, and ferried coffins home for burying. You must have a hundred tales to tell. That famous silence of yourn, Tom. Twice it was that my cattle-dog jumped off the big boat in the middle of the stream and plain swam home. <laughs> Though you didn't like her, Tom, the quiet it was that sent her overboard. 
Charles Merritt. I remember it well, Charles. And happen it was your talking, not my silence, as drove the poor beast to that. <laughs> <laughs> Truth is, I have my tales, as my Jenny will tell you. But I'm not a one for speeches, still less for breaking confidences, nor for making much of little. But, Mr. Merritt, I shall think hard on what you said on the way to the sailor, and see if I can't come up with something to entertain you in the darkling hour. And my dog? Yes, Charles, you should bring a dog, and I shall try to make amends. <laughs> Tom, it is hardly gone seven, and what with Bill walking Ginny back to the new inn, how about another cider? You've done your speech and can now relax. The bishop, oh, sorry, the reverend, didn't do so badly. I've seen him in full flood in the pulpit of a Sunday and feared he might go that way, but we escaped a sermon sure enough. And you too, Tom. Well, I'll be dashed if that wasn't a full two or three sentences you uttered then. And talking is thirsty work, Tom. Shall I pop up and see what's left in the barrel? Then maybe another sentence or two? As thirty-eight years on the seven could not have been without incident. Charles, you've been a good friend to me. And I know that there were years when your head of cattle could have just as easily been marketed this side of the river as t'other, and still you crossed them in my ferry. We've worked hard these last fifty or sixty years, and where it's been possible, we've helped each other along the road. Now bring me another cup of cider, and as you have asked, I shall tell you more of Sabrina, my mistress Severn. If that's rum, make them both large ones, Fred. I'll settle up come evening's end. I'm buying, and we'll broke no arguing on that. <laughs> Still under the table, are you? <laughs> you are a good girl, aren't you? Old as me and thy master, I dare say, measured in a dog's span. Be still a swimmer, old girl. Perhaps not on a night as this, eh? Let me go back away, Charles. His Grace Archbishop Bevis was right in his little speech. I've been ferrying a long time, and to my mind it is as noble an undertaking as any. But you ask any artisan about his craft, and you'll find him wanting to tell you a ream of his history. And I am the same. It's that history as empowers a man to make sense of what he does. You see... There is a river crossing here twixt Arlingham and Newnham, only because in years gone by the river could be forded. That is why we have a Roman road down to my pushing-off point, built not to reach this isolated village, but to pass unhalting through it to the river, then into the forest and Wales. Not much more than a track now. But that's an invader's road we walk each day. Uh, beat no ford there now. That restless river has beaten back the banks as once confined her. For she will lie where e'er she will lie. Look, in morning's light, 
Look ye there over the water. Just look across to where my houses stand. My garden's at the front are smaller this year than last. And soon enough, with that lapping tongue of hers, she'll have my own. And look ye too at the church. She's had our little Saxon one already. And that replacement, proud on yonder hill, well, that's not far behind. I already see the churchyard walls tumbling down to my jetty. There's a twist there, Charles. The bodies of the drowned as presently lie in that resting place. They too shall soon be tumbling back to her patient embrace. I've known her long, this mistress of mine. And I tell thee, Charles, more than any river family, we Phillips have fed that girl with our own. <coughs> Afore my birth, a brother of mine, Elijah, but fifteen years of age, was taken under. Then another brother, and my uncle, Lewis and Hubert, when I were eighteen. My two boys, uh, I, I cannot bear to think of now, Gaius and Victor, when I were but a year as ferryman, and they so cruelly young and brave, the elder but nine and the youngster seven. Then Tom Widows, Victor's friend from school, four years after, Still only a boy. She has a hunger, that harlot. And I fancy she likes better the young and the brave than the foolish. And not that there haven't been fools enough over the years. <laughs> Mark you the story of that vicar, you know, the Reverend John Crawley, a while afore you and I were even a twinkling in our father's eyes. Late summer, ford in the river on horse. <laughs> ah, well, there's an idea in the dark. Turns out the horse was a better swimmer than he. <laughs> Perhaps swam like that dog of yon. <laughs> and was it ever thus? We've spoken of this afore, Charles. History. This little spot of ours, this crossing of the water, has seen mighty things. Caractacus does recollect. Yeah, stubborn bugger. <laughs> one who would not be conquered. Tempts Augustus's legions into the seven to their death. Perhaps when our Lord was still alive. Think on that, Charles. The Lord walking on Galilee waters when the heathens were sinking beneath our own. Ah, you know the story. Yes, Charles, you do. I've recited it afore and you've listened. The noose, the sands at all. Not a mile from where we're sitting. Should you cross the river there and make middle? The sandbars, you have done well. But you should not be there when the tides are rising, especially not if fitted for war. The second they took to that water, they were lost. Thousands upon thousands of souls buried by incoming tide. Tempted their mind by the mocking river people, who knew a thing or two about this Sabrina and her moods. And then there was the great 1607 flood. Half of Arlingham lost, I shouldn't wonder. There's always drowning in my story. And that's been my fight these last 38 years. My work was not getting folk across the river. It was getting them safely across. And I'm proud, proud that I did that job well, as well as I could. Oh, oh Gaius. Ah, oh, Gaius, why did you take your little stockings off and wade to your death? 
Reginald Victor Phillips. Oh, how could you not stop your brother and then neither save him nor save yourself? And then I, by God, perceiving what was happening from the middle of the river, all too late to do nothing to help. Oh, I rode my boys as I've never rode afore, not nor since. My limbs fit to burst and arms burning heavy with the labor of it. Heart in my mouth choking with a fear. Banton sweating like a beast. Crying, crying for you to hold on. Stroke after stroke. Tears stinging my eyes and all the time. Goodly Mr. Knight, for he was with me. Shouting for you to hold on. Why couldn't you hold your head up? And out of that briny bitch for long enough for me to get to you. And Victor, we were so close. Did you know how close we were? And I would not get in that water. A thousand times I've asked myself, had I got in, could I have pulled you out? Happen I could even have stood. But no, I fished around with my boat hook like that, jabbing, jabbing deep in the waters. Jabbing for something that shouldn't be there. And sure enough, jab, jab. Later, I find my Gaius. No! The seconds will last. Seconds. And I relives it every day. And try as I might, I can't remake that decision. Might I have saved you, Victor? Had I been reckless brave rather than ever sane top? Might what I have saved but one of my dear boys. Every day I thought of that. And yes, it's true, I know too well it's been asked by others. Your mother, Gaius, I certainly. The village, Victor, all of them. That's my shame, child. That's why I speak so little, because really that's, that's all I think about. And all I ever want to say. Charles, that, that purse this evening. That's why I'm like this tonight. I'm such kindly people. You, you do know that was my second purse. Thirty-six years after the first. After the inquest with the boys, Charles. The jury wouldn't take their fees. They collected them up and gave their fees to me. And the others, they had little enough to their names, but they gave two, and I took that money. Ginny said I should take it. And she was right. And I rode that ferry damn near every day from then till now. And I've lost no one. And I'm proud of that. Oh, my mistress, Charles. I shall miss her. And I shall miss her not. Fred, more of the same. More rum. And of course I know Charles, and forgive me, for I have it in mind that ten years ago you lost two of yours away in the fields of France, and that your grief is as mine. It's good to be here with you, Charles. And that great beast of yours is still here by God. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to all this old man's nonsense. Your rum, Charles, you've not finished your rum. I've said too much, Charles. Ginny will be wondering where I got to.
dirty night. Not good for trade, I shouldn't wonder. Busy? No. Not to be expected. Not a, not a customer all evening. Busier in the village, I dare say. Always a crowd in that sailor's. Will you have a nightcap, though, Tom? Ginny went up an hour or so past. No, no, I've had my fill for one evening, as you might be able to tell. If you don't mind, I shall make my way upstairs. You do that, Tom. We'll have one tomorrow before you set off home. Bill won't be here but till middle of morning. Good night, Tom. Tom? You're back then. Spent all that giant purse already? How busy, old girl. Truth to tell, it was hard for me to put my hand in my pocket this evening. And afore you ask, yes, I've had a drink or two, but only enough. Enough being only a little bit too much, of course. I know. I have eyes in me head. And Tom, it was a good turnout, as it should have been. And did Charles stay to keep you company? He did. And Dick Cole was there, and some others too. I was not the last by any means. It was gentle drinking, Jenny, as befits old men without employ. <laughs> we'll be all right. You've your cobbling in your garden, and your farmer friends at harvest. And Bill will want you to take a turn now and again on the oars. Tonight wasn't the end of time, Tom. Just time for a change. Will you miss it, though, Tom? Oh, Ginny, I had some of that talk with Charles this very evening. More, perhaps, than I should have wished. But he's a friend, and we've known each other all our born days, and I and have always talked freely. Yes, is the answer to your question. I shall miss it, for the river shaped me and has given shape to my days these last forty years. You and I were born one side of the river, and I've made our home on the other, which is where we raised our children. Think on this. We rest tonight this Arlingham side of the river together, for I reckon's the first time this quarter and century. But for me, it's neither this side nor t'other. But it's the river as is my true home. That's where Tom's at his best. Straining his muscles, putting those oars through the boat weight ten ton, just keeping going, and turning round and back again, weary and soaked to the very bone. I'm his tired, love. I don't know what's got into me today. It's a summer tide of talk coming out of me tonight. <sighs> We've been all right, though, haven't we? Yes, we have. But, Tom, it's night time. <sighs> That's all right, my lover. Just you sleep. I was telling Charles about the boys. A right bloody daft thing to do, really, as he's lost two of his own, and not ten years ago. And I shouldn't just talk of Gaius and Victor, should I? You taught me that, though it took a time. Sixteen, you've borne me, Jenny. But nine of them still breathing. Mysterious ways, Jenny, mysterious ways. It's seven, not two we've lost, and I would do well to remember that. It's just that when I'm on that river, when I pass that spot twenty times a day, and the pulling means I'm looking at it for half my journeys, why, it's a curse, Jenny. 
I'm one that bills to bear now, for my sons were his brothers. Oh. Huh. Cobbling. A pig or two in the garden, some fishing, a bit on the boats now and again. It won't be so bad. There's plenty worse off. We've had our share of happiness, my lover. There was always family and bustle and money enough so as we weren't hungry. Never really hungry. Oh, I don't know what's got into me. I simply cannot sleep tonight. A little smoke outside, perhaps. The storm's tied itself out by the sounds of it. A bowl of backy then back to bed. Stretch of beauty, but a treacherous old girl, Serena. <laughs> I whilst for that reason alone I shall never turn my back on you. Our commercial arrangements are at an end. Forty years is long enough for this tired old body. But nothing to you, I suppose, where each day is but a breath. <sighs> and what then is the final reckoning? Bridges aside, there can't be a man in history who's crossed you more than me, old friend, and likely never anyone will. We've a late relationship, my girl, like it or not, one way or t'other, we are special. I forged a place in your history as much as you in mine. Tom, Tom, Tom. What will I do without you, Tom? Your stubborn heart and your foolishness. But at the end of all those crossings, what then is the reckoning? Well, you could say it's all been for nothing. There you are, we've always been. And here am I, the same side I was born, those thousands of crossings all cancelling each other out. It wasn't like that, Tom. Never like that. It was more than that. Always so much more than that. But I always. Save that once, liked our little encounter. You are not always fair with me, as tricksy a madam as man could ever meet. Oh, Tom, it was never like that. Never quite like that. But my, how you could hold a man's interest. I can honestly say that I was never bored, not once. Not when I could turn my thoughts to you. Oh, Tom... I'm going to miss you so much. crossing was a coin in my pocket. You gave me a living, Sabrina. Kept bread on my table and more than that. 
Sometimes you treated me well. The fairs and the markets, summer days when from first light to dusk I could ferry a winter's month of fairs. Oh, I love those busy days we share. <sighs> You're a bloody force, though, Sabrina. Wanton, greedy, and indifferent. All the things you took from me. Sons, gone. Brothers, gone. Friends, young and old, all gone. Well, you know what I'm like. I can't help it. It's in my nature, Tom. Our nature, Tom. Shall we call it a day, Sabrina, this give and take of ours? When we can still look smilingly upon each other. All done, my love. All done. Tom Phillips, Ferryman, was written by Ross Frohan and starred Mary Gold as Sabrina, John Jones as Reverend Beavis, Julie Halton as Ginny Phillips, Ian Ramsey as Charles Merritt and Duncan Tuck as Tom Phillips. Tom Phillips Ferryman was produced and directed by John Coop. Live sound effects were performed by Fiona Milton, Cassie Brooks and Jane Hutchinson. Total music was written by Terry Milton. The featured music were the songs More Love, Hands of Time, Wild Tape and Last Night by Amy Sayer. This recording is the property of Backwell Playhouse. The stories, characters and situations depicted within are the property of the author. All are protected by copyright. For more information on Backwell Playhouse, visit our website www.backwellplayhouse.co.uk Find our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at BackwellPH. Thank you for listening and please join us in a month's time for our next play.